Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. This gentleman might not have been a household name, but he was mightily used of God during his many years of active ministry. J.D. Young is his name, and he preached this message at the Interchurch Holiness Convention held in Dayton, Ohio back in 1987, and he titles it, The Grace of God Bringeth Salvation. I know you're going to enjoy this powerful sermon. I think opening services are those services when you're supposed to break the ice and uh, whatever else is supposed to be accomplished in opening services. I trust you will lift with us this afternoon as we think together. I'm inviting your attention to the prophecy of Isaiah, the 44th chapter, and I'm beginning to read at verse 9. You have your Bibles and would care to Follow with us in the reading of the scripture. Beginning at the ninth verse of the 44th chapter of the book of Isaiah, they that make a graven image are all of them vanity. Their delectable things shall not profit. They are their own witnesses. They see not nor know that they may be ashamed. Who hath formed a god, or molten a graven image, that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his fellows shall be ashamed. The workmen they are of man, let them all be gathered together. Let them stand up, yet they shall fear, and they shall be ashamed together. The smith with the tongs both worketh in the coals, and fashioneth it with hammers, and worketh it with the strength of his arms. Yea, he is hungry, his strength faileth, he drinketh no water, and is faint. The carpenter stretcheth out his rule, he marketh it out with a line, he fitteth it with planes, and he marketh it out with a compass, and maketh it after the figure of a man, according to the beauty of a man, that it may remain in the house. He heweth him down cedars, and taketh the cypress and the oak, which he strengtheneth for himself among the trees of the forest. He planteth an ash, and the rain doth nourish it. Then shall it be for a man to burn. For he will take thereof, and warm himself. Yea, he kindleth it, and baketh bread. Yea, he maketh a god, and worshipeth it. He maketh it a graven image, and falleth down thereto. He burneth part thereof in the fire. With part thereof he eateth flesh, 
He roasteth roast and is satisfied. Yea, he warmeth himself and saith, Aha, I am warm, I have seen the fire. And the residue thereof he maketh the God, even his graven image. He falleth down unto it and worshipeth it and prayeth unto it and saith, Deliver me, for thou art my God. Reading through verse 17, and we conclude our reading. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank thee for thy presence that we have been conscious of thus far today. We thank thee for the faithfulness of thy spirit. But once again we come to that hour when flesh faileth, human endeavors are in vain, when we need the touch of God. Would it please thee to touch thine unworthy servant one more time as we think together in the hearts of this waiting congregation. May, Lord, we think together for thy glory and for eternity and our eternal profit, and we shall praise thee for it. Amen. You will find the basis for our thinking this afternoon in the 16th verse in the words of the prophet when he said, referring to those who had created this image, Aha, I am warm, I have seen the fire. Now, <clears throat> I trust that before we get through this afternoon, the Lord will help us to bring this into a line with the theme of the convention. As I was thinking and wondering what the Lord would have us to share with you this afternoon, this was the line of thought that began to come to our minds and come to our hearts. We can never let the whole world know of the greatness and the glory of God unless he reigns and rules supremely in our own hearts and in our own lives. Really, we're letting the world know something this afternoon, whether we are conscious of it or not. Either we are testifying to a life of victory through the blood and the fullness of the Spirit, or we are testifying to the poverty of our spiritual life. We're letting the world know one way or another. Now, those of you that are familiar with this passage of Scripture in this chapter will certainly be reminded of the fact that this seems to be rather incongruous to find this passage of scripture in this particular chapter. Because as you go back in the first nine verses of this passage of scripture, you will find that it begins with some of the most outstanding and encouraging promises recorded any place in the word of God. Look at verse three for just a moment where the prophet says, and he's saying, I will pour water on him that is thirsty floods upon the dry ground. What a wonderful promise. And the picture that the prophet is trying to get across to Israel is the fact that God wants to give to Israel a mighty outpouring of his spirit, an unusual move of God. Let's note just briefly for a few moments if you will, what God wanted to do for Israel. First of all, in verse 3, he wanted to rejuvenate them. I will pour water on him that is thirsty, 
and floods upon the dry ground. I don't know of anything in the midst of the dry, parched summer months that can rejuvenate more than a fresh downpour of new rain. God wanted to rejuvenate the children of Israel. Secondly, he wanted to help them to retain their youth. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessings upon thine offspring. I don't know how you feel this afternoon. But I'm concerned that we retain our youth. And I believe God wants to give us our sons and our daughters for his glory. Then I would have you to know a little further that God wanted to, or there is suggested to us the refreshing results. They shall spring up as among the grass and as willows by the water course. And so God wanted to move upon Israel until in verse 5 there would be rejoicing in his presence. This is what God wanted to do for Israel. But the tragedy is found in the fact that there were those who were satisfied to settle for less than what God had graciously provided. Oh, church, this afternoon, how often are we satisfied with less than what God has provided for us? Matter of fact, it is even worse than just being satisfied with less. They had reached the place where they were substituting the false for the real and the passing for the eternal. And when you come to verse 9, you note a very decided change in the message of the prophet. And from verse 9 onward, he begins to give to us the description of how they labored to create an idol of their own making. The tree from which the idol was made was a tree from the forest. Nothing unusual about that tree. Part of the tree is made into an idol. Part of it is used for fire to warm themselves and to cook with. They labored until they were weary. They labored until they, were, they worked hard at the job to have something so far inferior to what God had provided and promised them. So far have they gone in their substituting that they give the God of their own making the praise for the fire and are satisfied and say, aha, I am warm. I have seen the fire. I would remind you this afternoon that they could have received what God had for them in verses 1 through 8. They could have had a mighty outpouring of his spirit. There could have been a rejuvenating in their midst. Revival could have been theirs. But they turned their back on God's gracious best and satisfied for their second best. I would remind you this afternoon that there is a desire in the heart of man to see the fire. I'm sure that you are all aware or acquainted with the fact when I'm using this terminology, I'm speaking about that inward work of the Holy Spirit that we use the term of the fire to signify that gracious work of God when he comes to dwell completely in his fullness in our hearts. Man has been so created that 
He wants something to worship and something to give his allegiance to. And we're going to worship, we're going to have some kind of fire. If we cannot get enough of God's fire and enough of God in our hearts to see heaven send fire, then we will make our own fire and not only be deceived, but deceiving others with us. If you go on down in this chapter, Isaiah goes on to speak about how they had gone so far until the deceived heart had given them away. I want to think with you this afternoon, as I think in, re in the context of this matter of being warmed by some kind of a fire, I would suggest to you that there are three kinds of fire. I'm sure that there may be more, and I do not propose to say anything to you that you've never heard before, but just by way of stirring up our minds, by way of remembrance, there are three kinds of fire that we can warm ourselves at. And I would remind you that we are going to be warmed by some kind of fire. It could be, first of all, someone else's fire. I'm afraid, dear hearts, that this is a day and an age when we are having far more of being warmed by someone else's fire than we are willing to admit. Someone gets blessed, God witnesses with a touch of fire to their soul, and we feel emotionally blessed and emotionally stirred, but nothing is happening in our hearts and in our lives. And we say, aha, I am warm. I have seen the fire. Don't it feel good? But the truth is, and the sad truth is, that we are experiencing nothing of the supernatural working of God within our own hearts and within our own lives. Never the feeling of the fire burning uh, while at home, uh, around the family altar, or in the secret place of prayer. It's been a long time since God witnessed to our hearts that he still dwelt in the innermost holy place of our hearts. The only time there is any feeling of warmth of the fire is when someone else demonstrates some fire in their life and in their heart. Such as the times when the tide is high or the convention is at its peak and the saints are rejoicing and getting blessed as they feel the outpouring of the Spirit because they themselves have been at the throne of grace and touched God. Really, there's a lot of places that you can go to today and have an emotional stir. And I'm afraid in the religious realm, in our own circles, if we're not careful, we are satisfying and we are being satisfied and selling with having, being in a sense, in, a pres in, the, in the presence of others who are getting blessed, but never having God bless our own hearts. Some folk have a favorite preacher or a favorite type of preacher. The only time they ever really get blessed or really get stirred is when their favorite preacher is up to preach. Never feel any fire, any stir, any other time. Never feel any warmth in their own heart. What's wrong? They are satisfied with just seeing the fire. And all they have ever known is the influence of the Holy Spirit. They do not know what it is to have the Holy Spirit dwelling in their hearts and in their lives. The 
tragedy is if we want God to dwell within our hearts and within our lives, it's going to take time waiting in his presence until he ignites anew the fire upon the altar of our soul. And in this hurry and the bustle of the day in which you and I find ourselves living uh, and the pressures of life pressing in upon us, uh, too often we don't take time to keep the fire kindled upon the altar of our soul and we're satisfied to just have a touch once in a while from someone else's fire. I would suggest to our thinking this afternoon that it is dangerous to be satisfied with just seeing the fire. It is dangerous to warm ourselves at, at someone else's fire for it leaves us, first of all, with no spiritual understanding. I'm wondering if one of the reasons why some folk are being so easily led into the charismatic movement and a lot of other things that are getting involved in is because they do not have the Holy Spirit to, to guide them and to direct them and to lead them. They've been satisfied with seeing the fire. They're not willing to have the fire themselves to where the Holy Spirit can guide and lead and direct. The Bible tells us that when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide us into all truth. And the only safety in our day and age is having the blessed Holy Spirit to dwell in all of his fullness upon the altar of our souls. Not only does it, is it dangerous because it leaves us with no spiritual understanding, but it also, when we warm ourselves at someone else's fire, it allows the deceitful heart to go uncovered. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to help you and I to see ourselves as God sees us. If we're not careful, we get to thinking so well of ourselves and we have such inflated opinions of our own abilities and our own experience. And as a consequence, we, we have developed a, a generation of super spirituality, religious people that do not have the fire. They have the outward standard and they have the outward form and they can tell you exactly how to do it, but there's nothing of the presence of the Holy Spirit within their own hearts and in their own lives. Then I would suggest to your thinking it is dangerous because it will bring about our destruction for there's nothing to hold us when the pressure is on. The need is to have the fire in our own hearts. May I go just a bit farther in this area? There's the danger of warming ourselves at the fires of yesterday. Oh, it's so easy to talk about the good old days and, and some folk, the only thing they can tell you about is when God blessed them in the past and when God touched them in the past. But neighbor, there must be something of God moving upon us today. There must be something of his wonderful presence moving upon our souls and our hearts sometime recently where we become satisfied to warm ourselves at another's fire. No doubt if we could go back and talk to some of the pioneers that lived in the days of revival of the past, we would find them referring perhaps some back, but also recognizing uh, that they had to work and they had to dig uh, and they had to conquer to have the fire in their day. 
Could I bear my soul to you this afternoon? I confess to you that I am not satisfied with the measure of the presence of God in my life and in my heart. Something within is reaching out and hungry for more and more of God. I, I don't want to be moved simply because you're moved. I don't want to react simply because you've demonstrated. I want to do what I do because something within my heart responds to the King of Kings and the Lord of Glory. No, the need is not the fire of yesterday, but the fire of today. Let me pass on. Not only is there the danger of warming ourselves with someone else's fire, but there's the danger of warming ourselves at the fire of our own making. While it is dangerous to warm ourselves at the fire of another, it is even more dangerous to try and warm ourselves by the fire of our own making. Prophet said in for chapter 50 and verse 11, Behold all ye that kindle the fire, that compass yourselves about with sparks, walk in the light of your fire, and in the sparks which ye have kindled, this shall ye have of mine hand, ye shall lie down in sorrow. Could I suggest to your thinking, first of all, it is dangerous to warm ourselves at the fire of our own making because it is self-made and unpredictable. You never know where a spark will land or how much damage it will accomplish. Oh, I know, I, I know the prevailing thinking among some. I've heard it said, and so have you. Well, I'd rather have a little bit of wildfire than no fire at all. Whether you agree with me or not this afternoon, I'm not interested in wildfire. If it cannot be Holy Ghost fire, if it's not God's presence, then I'm not interested in it. And when we are willing to settle for wildfire, we are no different than the charismatics and the others who work up an emotional, an emotional stir and think they've had a good service. Those of you who have been acquainted with me are certainly aware of the fact that I'm not against God moving in demonstration time and time again in my pastorates across the years. I've been happy to stand back when God came on the scene and begin to move upon our services. But I'm afraid of wildfire. And the tragedy of it is, in the midst of it all, we become satisfied with the wildfire and we are not willing to pay the price for God's fire. Some years ago, when the convention was still at Cincinnati, I shall never forget one afternoon. A man sitting on the front row, just a seat in front of me. It was one of those services when there was an unusual amount of demonstration. That young man sat there and he, he was quite deficient in his mental faculties. It was not only a known fact, but it was also very evident. But he just was not altogether there mentally. He sat on the front seat and he watched the people as they ran back and forth across the front. Some were tossing pillows in the air and some were doing other things. And all of a sudden, he jumped up 
and he took off across the front of the tabern of the of the uh, of the chapel as hard as he could run. He ran to the other side and back again and almost ran into the wall having to put out his hands and feet to stop him and then came back and sat down out of breath, turned to the man that sat next to him and said, how did I do? How did I do? There's a little bit of an amusing aspect to that, but I'm afraid that some of our demonstration has just about as much of God in it uh, as what that poor mentally deficient brother had in him uh, that afternoon. But we're satisfied with the, with the vapors and the mist rather than having the presence of God in our midst. Many a person has been hurt and destroyed because of the sparks of a sparky professor that was warming himself at the fire of his own making. They can line you up and they can set you straight and they can tell you where, they ha where you have erred. But there's no warmth. And there's no compassion. And there's no love. Friend, when the Holy Spirit comes, I believe there's with it a compassion and a love and a tenderness whether you agree or you disagree, there still is a love that can flow back and forth until those looking on can say, Behold how they love one another. Love was the badge of the early New Testament church. We've lived, we seem like we've reached the day when, when we disagree in this little area and that little area. And when we disagree, we just kind of cut each other off from each other. Either you agree with me and see it like I see it, or we have no grounds for fellowship. I say nonsense. Amen. I believe, my dear hearts, that there's grounds for fellowship even though we don't agree in everything. As a family of the convention and the holiness movement, uh, we basically agree in the same things. Uh, there's some areas they've been battling for years and never settled. Instead of it allowing it to divide us and to become divisive, uh, what do you say somehow we allow the fire of the Holy Spirit uh, to burn brightly upon the altar of our soul and love one another with a pure heart fervently? The sparky professor who's warming himself at his own fire will condemn in others what they permit in their own household. And they take the attitude, I'm right and my stand is right. And either you line up to my truth and to my measurement or you just ain't got it. The trouble with the fire of our own making is that, that, is that it must be continually fanned and coaxed only to go out. But there's another fire that I want to mention this afternoon. And that's the fire of God's kindling. There's a fire of God's kindling and it need never go out. Hallelujah. The writer to the Hebrews says our God is a consuming fire. John the Baptist referring to the Christ said, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. In the Old Testament back 
in the book of Leviticus and the orders to the priest to remember God ignited the fire upon the altar, but then it was the responsibility of the priest to rake off the dead ashes and put new fuel upon it and see that the fire remained burning. I'm glad there is a heaven-sent fire. Why, fire is one of the most powerful agents in the world. Fire can destroy all vegetable substance, but it can never harm or destroy silver or gold. They are only purified by the fire. And the Bible tells us that our works are going to be tried by fire. The works of the wicked will be tried and destroyed, but the child of God's works will be purified by the fire. So many times things look much the same on the surface now, but the fire will reveal what is true and what is false. And when the fire begins to burn upon the altar of our soul, it sets us aglow for God and for his glory. May I remind you that this Holy Ghost fire will make us different from the average church member. And it's for everyone that is willing to lay themselves open to the faithful searching of the Holy Ghost. Right. Hallelujah. I'm reminded of reading over in the book of Acts where it speaks about them all being filled with the Holy Ghost. It was not a fire of their own making. They did not get it from each other but it was the fire of God that had been promised. It was the promise of the Father, and when he came, he came to fill their hearts so overflowing. No longer was Peter the coward, but there was a holy backbone to be counted as one of the Christ's disciples. John, the son of thunder, was transformed into the apostle of love. Oh, what a difference it makes in our lives when the Holy Spirit comes in his wonderful burning presence. The same fire that burns up the stubble and melts wax also hardens and tempers steel. And the Holy Spirit, the divine refiner, he knows whether we need to be melted or hardened or tempered. He knows just how hot to make the fire. He knows just exactly how much to consume. He knows exactly what to do. I've seen some folk that would like to be the fire agent and like to turn up the fire. They think some folk need to have a little more tempering to them and they think some other folk need, they'd like to turn up the fire. But if you and I have the option of turning the fire up, we'll always get it too hot, except on ourselves. But the Holy Spirit knows exactly what I need and he knows exactly what you need. He knows whether we need to be strengthened. He knows whether we need to be melted down and tendered up. He knows our hearts this afternoon hour. And if we're willing to warm ourselves at his wonderful fire, I tell you, my dear friend, then our lives will begin to count for his glory. But when this fire is kindled, the devil gets stirred. The devil doesn't care as long as we warm ourselves at someone else's fire. He doesn't care how much you profess to as long as you warm yourself at the fire of your own making. But when the Holy Spirit begins to work and begins to deal and begins to probe and begins to re reveal our hearts and then to purify, the devil gets stirred. I would remind you that Satan and his host have been trying to put this fire out ever since it fell on the day of Pentecost, but he's never succeeded. He never shall succeed in the lives of that man and that woman that is willing to pay the price to have God. Hallelujah. It was the fire that was burning in the breast of Mr. Wesley that caused him to feel the world was his parish. 
when driven out of the Church of England, the fire did not go out. It continued to burn in his heart like a lamp and flame until the tombstone became his pulpit, the open skies his cathedral, the world became his parish, and he went across the world and especially across England proclaiming the gospel message of the power of God's grace to save. And out of that burning fire, Methodism was born to give rise to another moving of God. Oh, dear people, this afternoon that God would move upon our hearts until the Holy Spirit would come one more time until out of the moving of God there would be a new move of God out into this whole world. It was this fire that burned so fervently in the heart of James Chalmers of New Guinea that for close to a quarter of a century he labored among the cannibals of the South Sea Islands until finally he became a member of the Martyr's Army. After he'd been in New Guinea for a period of time, he was back in England for a convention and for a time of rest. Speaking to a great gathering in Exeter Hall, he said one night, and I quote, recall the 21 years, give me back all of his experiences, give me back its shipwrecks, give me its standings in the face of death, Give it me with spears flying around me in the club, knocking me to the ground. Give it back and I will still be your missionary. Why? Something had been ignited in the heart of that dear man that would not go out. And in spite of the reverses and all that came his way, something burned to get the message out to those that never heard. Oh, for that flame of living fire which shone so bright in saints of old, which bid their souls to heaven aspire, calm in distress and danger bold. I like that one verse that goes on to say, Is not thy grace as mighty now as when Elijah felt its power, when glory beamed from Moses' brow, or Job endured the trying hour? I'd like to add and say, yes, his grace is just as sufficient. Yeah, yeah. The Holy Spirit is just as able and just as anxious and just as willing to move in our midst. I believe he's more anxious as we come to the close of this dispensation. Oh, how we need this God-kindled fire in the hearts of every man, woman, boy, and girl who name the name of Jesus Christ. It was the fire that set General Booth and the Salvation Army aflame until they went into the hovels and the dens of England, snatching the brands from the burning, lifting up the downfall, and telling them that there was hope in Jesus Christ. If there's anything that we have to tell a needy world this afternoon, it's the message that the grace of God is still sufficient for every soul and that the blood still goes deeper than the stain has ever gone and regardless of how far down they've gone or how much they've grieved God that God's grace is able to restore that man, that woman, that boy, that girl and lift them to a higher plane and give them joy in the midst of this hour. That's our message this afternoon. And when the fire burns, uh, there's something about the man or woman who knows Jesus Christ that shares it with them all. What was it that Fanny Crosby pinned in that familiar hymn? Down in the human heart, crushed by the tempter, feelings light buried that grace, grace can restore. 
Touched by a loving heart. Here it is, touched by a loving heart. Oh, the love and compassion that flows from the heart of the man and the woman who has the fire burning straight upon the altar. That young man, that young woman, that boy, that girl, they know when you love them or not, when you tell them how awful they are, how deep in sin they are, what a reprobate, they know whether you love them or not. There's some young people that said, I don't want anybody to ever speak to me about Jesus Christ or about his grace because there was a sparky professor that spoke with them or spoke to them with such a hard thing for you, Spirit. Right. But I've never yet seen one who was approach, approached with a heart that was filled with compassionate love. And they knew you loved them. But what at least would say, thanks for praying for me. Down in the human heart, crushed by the tempter, feelings like buried that grace can restore. Oh, our ministry, our message, our task this afternoon is to go out and let the whole world know that Jesus Christ is still the same as he was yesterday. He's the same today. He's able for this generation. He's able for this hour. He's able for our need. He's able for my need. He's able for your need. Hallelujah. When you begin to warm yourself at the fire of his kindling, uh, you get your eyes upon Jesus and off of the things of this old world, uh, and something begins to take place in your heart and in your life. Uh, and it may not always be the verbosity of your words, uh, but it will be by the spirit that emanates from your being uh, that they recognize that Christ is able. Amen. And when that takes place, cords that were broken can vibrate yeah. once more. Oh, dear people, I'm hungry to see some precious boys and girls who've been crushed and beaten down and Satan thinks he's had his way, but where somebody somewhere can touch God with a fresh anointing of his spirit until they believe that God is able for them in the midst of it all. Amen. When the fire burns, there's something that flows and speaks to the heart of men and women. God's grace is sufficient. Mr. Booth, I think pinned the feelings that should be the heart cry of every heart who wants to see a move of God when he pinned thou Christ of burning, cleansing fire, flame, send the fire. Yes. Thy blood by gift today we claim, send the fire. Look down and see this waiting host, give us the promised Holy Ghost. We want another Pentecost, send the fire. Yes. Then he pins this verse, tis fire we need, for fire we plead. The fire will meet our every need. Did you hear it? For strength to ever do the right, for grace to conquer in the fight, for power to walk the world in white. Oh God, send the fire. By the grace of God, 
I want a holy disturbance until I shall never be satisfied at warming myself at anything other than the fire of God's kindling. And if somehow in this convention there can be created a thirst and a hunger for a fresh visitation of the Holy Spirit upon the altar of our souls, until out of this group of people will flow a love and a compassion such as never been known. Oh, maintaining our doctrine, maintaining our position. I don't, I'm not talking about, I believe God is able to take care of that if we'll let God's fire burn in our hearts. Sometimes I'm afraid we have become so concerned in maintaining our fence lines that we forgot about the fact of maintaining what's inside the fence. Aha, I am warm. I have seen the fire. But by the grace of God, His grace is sufficient for this hour. He's sufficient for this convention. Until we can see such a fresh moving of His Spirit, until our hearts will become so hungry that we'll be satisfied with nothing less than a fresh outpouring of his wonderful spirit. I don't want to take for granted the heritage of holiness that has been passed on. I don't want to lose the fire. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855, USA. I don't want to lose the